Chapter 7, Part 2 of The Night Operator by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Operator, Chapter 7, The Devil and All His Works, Part 2. Regan, during the first few days, the brunt of his temper worn off, experienced a certain relief that was no little relief. He was rid, and well rid, of the noodles combination. But at the end of about a week, the bluff, big-hearted master mechanic began to suck in his under lip at moments when he was alone, as the stories of old Bill's futile efforts after a job and old Bill's rather pitiful defiance began to sift into him. Regan began to have visions of the little three-room shack way up in the waste fields at the end of Main Street. A dollar sixty a day wasn't much to come and go by, even when the dollar sixty was coming regularly every payday. And when it wasn't, the cost of food and rent didn't go down any. Regan got to thinking a good deal about the faded little old drudge of a woman that was Mrs. McGuire and the bare floors as he remembered them even in the palmy days of Noodle's birth when he had attended the celebration, bare but scrubbed to a spotless white. She hadn't been young then, and not any too strong, and that was twelve years ago. And he got to thinking a good deal about old Bill himself. Not much good any more, but good enough for a dollar sixty a day from a company he'd served for many a long year, in the roundhouse. There had never been over much of what even an optimistic imagination could call luxury in the Maguire's home, and the realization got kind of deep under the worried master mechanic's skin that things were down now to pretty near a case of bread to fill their mouths. And Regan was right. Even a week had been long enough for that. A man out of a job can't expect credit on the strength of the pay car coming along next month. Things were in pretty straitened circumstances up at the Maguires. And the more Regan thought, the hotter he got under the collar, at Noodles, where he had formerly disliked and submitted to Noodles' existence in a passive sort of way. Now he hated Noodles in a most earnest and wholehearted way, and with an unholy desire in his soul to murder Noodles on sight. For even if Noodles was directly responsible, and at the bottom of the pass things had come to, Regan's uncomfortable feeling grew stronger each day that indirectly he had his share in the distress and want that had moved into headquarters up at the top of Main Street. It wasn't a nice feeling or a nice position to be in, and Regan writhed under it, but... Primarily, he cursed Noodles. There was nothing small about Regan. There never was. He wasn't small enough not to do something. He couldn't very well ask the yardmaster or the section boss to give McGuire a job when he wouldn't give the old man one himself. So he sent word up to McGuire to come back to work in the roundhouse. McGuire's answer differed in no whit from the answer he had made to Gleason, the yardmaster, and everyone else to whom he had applied for a job. McGuire was in deadly earnest. "'Never!' said he to the messenger who bore the olive branch. "'Mind that now, never, till he takes back what he said. Not if I starve for it.' Regan swore, and here Regan stuck. Noodles! His gorge rose until he choked. Kill the brat? Yes, murder was in Regan's soul. 
but to proclaim Noodles as a godson. Noodles as a godson. He had done it once, not knowing what he was doing, and to do it now with the years of enlightenment upon him, Regan choked, that was all, and grew apoplectically red in the face. It wasn't the grins and laughs of the Hill Division that he knew were waiting for him if he did. It was just noodles. When Regan had calmed down from the explosion, he inevitably, of course, got back to the old perspective, and for another week the Maguire family up Main Street occupied a reserved seat in his mind. Carlton only spoke to him once about it, and that was along toward the end of the second week, as they were walking uptown together at the dinner hour. "'By the way, Tommy,' said the super, "'how's Maguire getting along?' Regan's thoughts having been on the same subject at the moment, he came back a little crossly. "'Blamed if I know,' he growled. Carlton smiled. Moved by the same motive, perhaps, he had gone into the cash grocery store on the corner the day before, and found that Maguire's credit was re-established, thanks to Regan, though Timmins, the proprietor, had been sworn to secrecy. "'One of you two will have to capitulate before very long,' he said, with a side glance at Regan. "'And I don't think it will be Maguire.' "'Don't you?' Regan flung out. "'You think it will be me?' <laughs> "'Yes,' laughed Carlton. "'When I'm dead,' said Regan shortly. "'Had any word from those Westinghouse fittings yet? "'I'm waiting for them now.' "'I'll see about them,' said Carlton. "'I'm going east this afternoon.' And there wasn't any more said about Maguire. Meanwhile, if Regan's rancor against Noodles had reached a stage that was acute, Noodles had reached a stage of reciprocative hatred that was positively deadly. So far as elemental passion and savagery had developed in twelve years— and Noodles was not a backward boy. Just so far had he developed his malevolence against Regan. Things were in a pretty strained condition in the environment of the Maguire shack. Noodles was unhappy all the time, and hungry most of the time. He heard a good deal about Regan and the depths a man could sink to, and enough about the immutable inviolability of church tenets and ordinances to satisfy the most fanatic discipline of orthodoxy to say nothing of the deep-seated conviction of the wrath of God that must inevitably fall upon one who had the sacrilegious temerity to profane those tenets. Mostly, Noodles imbibed this at twilight over the sparsely set table, and when the twilight faded and it grew dark, they weren't using kerosene any more at the Maguires, he could still sense the look on his mother's face that mingled anxiety and gentle reproof, and he edged back his chair out of reach of his father's cuffs, which he could dodge in the daylight and couldn't in the dark, for on one point Regan and the old hostler were in perfect accord. "'And just had the cause of it!' old Bill would shout, swinging the flat of his hand in the direction of Noodle's ear every time his violent oratory reached a climacteric height where a period became a physical necessity." Take it all around, what with the atmosphere of gloom, dodging his father's attentions, his mother's tears when he had caught her crying once or twice, and an unsatisfied stomach, black vengeance oozed from every pore of Noodle's body. His warty little fists clenched, and his unlovely face contorted into a scowl such as Noodle's, and only Noodle's, 
thanks to the background that nature had already furnished him to work upon, could scowl. Noodles set his brains to work. What he must do to Regan must be something awful and blood-curdling, and realizing, perhaps, that, being but twelve, he would be handicapped in coping with the master mechanic single-handed, he sought the means of assistance that most logically presented itself to him. Noodles lay awake nights trying to dovetail himself and Regan into the situations of his nickel thrillers. There wasn't any money with which to buy new nickel thrillers, but by then Noodles had accumulated quite a stock, and he knew them all off pretty well by heart. The essentials of them, anyhow. Noodles racked his brain for a week of nights, and was in despair. Not that the nickel thrillers did not offer situations harrowing enough to glut even his bloodthirsty little soul. They did. They were peaches. He could see Regan's blood all over the bank vault that the master mechanic had been trying to rob. He could see Regan walking the plank of a pirate ship while the pirates cheered hoarsely and he fairly reveled in every one of them, until cold despair would clutch again at his raging heart. They were peaches, all right, but somehow they wouldn't fit into Big Cloud. He couldn't figure out how to get Regan to rob a bank vault, and there weren't any pirates in the immediate vicinity that he had ever heard of. Then inspiration came to Noodles one night, and he sat bolt upright in bed, he would shadow Regan. A fierce, unhallowed joy took hold of Noodles. Noodles had grasped the constructive technique of the thriller. Every hero in every nickel thriller shadowed every villain to his doom. Regan's doom at the end was sure to take care of itself once he had found Regan out, but the shadowing came first. Noodles slept feverishly for the rest of the night, and the following evening he snooped down Main Street and took up his position in a doorway on the opposite side of the street from Regan's boarding-house. In just what dire deed of criminal rascality he expected to trap the master mechanic he did not know, but that Regan was capable of anything, and that he would catch him in something Noodles now had no doubt. That was what the shadowing was for. He grimly determined that he would be unmoved by appeals for mercy, and his heart beat high with optimistic excitement. Regan came out of the boarding-house, and barefooted in lieu of gumshoes and hugging the shadows a block behind, Noodles had refreshed his memory on the most improved methods. Noodles trailed the master mechanic down the street. Two blocks down, Regan halted on the corner and began to peer around him. Noodles' lips thinned suddenly. It began to look promising already. What was Regan up to? A man came down the cross street, joined Regan, and the two started on again toward the station. A little disappointed, Noodles, still hugging the shadows, resumed the chase. It was only Carlton, the superintendent. From the platform, Noodles watched the two men disappear through the far door of the station. Free from observation now, he hurried along the platform past the station, and was in time to see a lamp lighted upstairs in the side window of the super's office. Noodles waited a moment, then he tiptoed back along the platform and cautiously pushed open the door through which the others had disappeared. The door of the super's room on the upper story opened on the head of the stairs, and still on tiptoe, Noodles reached the top. Here, on his knees, his eyes glued to the keyhole, he peered into the room. Regan and the super were engaged in their nightly game of cards. 
There was nothing to raise Noodle's hopes in that, so he descended the stairs and took up his position behind the rain-barrel at the corner of the building where he could watch both the window and the entrance. At half-past ten the light went out, Regan and Carleton came down the stairs and headed uptown. Noodles, not forgetting the shadows, trailed them. At the corner where Carleton had joined Regan, Carleton left Regan, and Regan went on two blocks further and disappeared inside his boarding-house. Noodles, being a philosopher of a sort, told himself that none of the heroes ever succeeded the first night, and went home. The next night, and the three following nights, Noodles shadowed Regan with the same results. By the fifth night, with no single differing detail to enliven the somewhat monotonous and unproductive program, it had become dispiriting, and though Noodles' thirst for vengeance had not weakened, his faith in the nickel thrillers had. But on the sixth night, at the end of the second week since Noodles and Noodles' father had turned their backs upon the roundhouse, things were a little different. Noodles, in common with everyone else in Big Cloud, was quite well aware that the super's private car had been coupled on number 12 that afternoon, and that Carleton had gone east. Regan came out of his boarding-house at the same hour as usual, and Noodles dodged along after him down the street. Noodles, by this time, for finesse, could have put a combination of Nick Carter and Old Sleuth on the siding until the grass sprouted between the ties. Noodles dodged along, in the shadows. Regan didn't stop at the corner this time, but he kept right along, heading down for the station. Regan passed two or three people going in the opposite direction up the street of the sleepy little mountain town, but this did not confuse Noodles. Noodles kept right along after Regan. There was no Carlton tonight, and Regan's criminal propensities would have full scope. Noodles' hopes ran high. Regan reached the station, went down the platform, and disappeared as usual through the same door. A little perplexed, Noodles followed along the platform, but a moment later from his coin of vantage behind the rain-barrel he saw the light flash out from the super's window, and his heart almost stood still. What was Regan doing in the super's office, alone? Noodles' face grew very white. Carlton had a safe there. He had got Regan at last. It had taken a lot of time, but none of the heroes ever got the villain until after pages and pages of trying to get him. He had got Regan at last. Noodles crept from the shelter of the rain-barrel stealthily as a cat, and, with far more caution than he had ever exercised before, pushed the outside door open and went up the stairs. There wasn't any hurry. He would give Regan time to drill through the safe, and perhaps even let the master mechanic get the money before giving the alarm. Noodles bitterly bemoaned the fact that he would have to give the alarm at all, and let anybody else in on it, but owing to the fact that he had been unable to finance a revolver with which to hold up the master mechanic red-handed and cover himself with glory at the same time, there appeared nothing else to do. It was just a step from the head of the stairs to the door of the super's room across the hall. Noodles negotiated it with infinite circumspection, and on his knees, as usual, his heart pounding like a trip-hammer, got his eye to the keyhole. He held it there a very long time, until he couldn't see any more through the hot, scolding, impotent tears. Then he edged back across the hall and sat down on the top step. Regan was playing solitaire.
Hands dug disconsolately in his pockets, playing mechanically with a bit of cord that was about their sole contents, Noodles sat there, and his faith in nickel thrillers was shaken to the core. Noodles' thoughts were too complex for coherency, that is, for coherency in any but one of his thoughts. He hated Regan worse than ever, for he couldn't altogether expurgate the nickel thrillers from his mind on such a short notice, and he could hear Regan gloat and hiss, FOILED! in his ear. Noodle's hands came out of his pocket, with the cord. He wound one end around the banisters and began to seesaw it back and forth aimlessly in the darkness. There wasn't any good of shadowing Regan any more, but he wasn't through with Regan. Noodle's had a soul above discouragement. Only, what was he to do? If the nickel thrillers had failed him in his hour of need, he would have to depend on himself. Only, what was he to do? Noodles stopped seesawing the cord suddenly, and stared at it through the darkness, though he couldn't see it. Then he edged down another step, turned around on his knees, and knotted one end of the cord, it was a good stout one, to one side of the banisters, about six inches from the level of the hall floor. There was a banister railing on each side, and he stretched the cord tightly across to the other banister and knotted it there. That would do for a beginning. It didn't promise as gory a denouement as he thirsted for, and he was a little ashamed of the colorlessness of his expedient compared with those he'd read about. But there wasn't anybody else likely to use those stairs before Regan did, and it would do for a beginning. Regan would get a jolt or two before he reached the bottom. Noodles retreated down the stairs and retired to the rain barrel. Waits had been long there before, but tonight the time dragged hopelessly. He didn't expect to see very much, but he would be able to hear Regan coming down the stairs, so he waited, curbing his impatience by biting anxiously on the ends of his fingernails. Suddenly Noodles leaned head and shoulders far out from behind the rain barrel to miss no single detail of this, the initial act of his revenge, that he could drink in, his eyes fastened on the station door. The light in the window above had gone out. Very grim was Noodles' face, and his teeth were hard set together. There was no foolishness about this. The super's door upstairs opened and shut, Noodles leaned a little farther forward, out from the rain-barrel. Meanwhile, Regan, upstairs, was not in a good humor. Regan, when alone, played a complicated and somewhat intricate species of solitaire, a matter of some pride to the master mechanic, and that evening he had had no luck. His combinations wouldn't work out. So, after something like fifteen abortive attempts that consumed the better part of an hour and a half, and victory still remaining an elusive thing, Regan chucked the cards back into Carlton's drawer in disgust, knocked the ashes out of his pipe, refilled the pipe for company homeward, and, growling a little to himself, blew out the super's lamp. He walked across to the door, opened and shut it, and stepped out into the hall. Here he halted and produced a match, both because his pipe was as yet unlighted and because the stairs were dark. He struck the match, applied it to the tamp tobacco, puffed once, and his eyes from the bowl of his pipe focused suddenly downward on the head of the stairs. 
Regan's round, fat little face went a color that put the glowing end of the match still held mechanically over the pipe bowl to shame, and the fist that wasn't occupied with the match clenched with the wrath that engulfed him. Noodles! For a moment, breathing heavily with rage, Regan glared at the cord. Then the match, burning his fingers, did not soothe him any, and he dropped it hastily, swearing earnestly to himself. Then he bent down, cut away the cord with his knife, and in grim, laborious silence, Regan was a heavy man, and the stairs had a tendency to creak that was hard to suppress, descended step by step. Regan was consumed with but one desire for the present or the hereafter, to get his hands on Noodles. Where Noodles had been stealthy, Regan was now positively devilish in his caution and cunning. Step by step he went down, testing each foothold much after the fashion of a cat that stretches out its paw, and finding something not quite to its liking draws it back, and shaking it vigorously tries again more warily, and the while a fire unquenchable burned within him. He reached the door at the bottom, found the knob, waited an instant, then suddenly flung the door wide open and sprang out on the platform. Noodle's form, projecting eagerly far out from the rain-barrel not five yards away, was the first thing his eyes lighted upon. Regan had no time to waste in words. He made a dash for the rain-barrel, and Noodles, with a sort of surprised squeak of terror, turned and ran. A fat man, ordinarily, cannot run very fast, and neither can a twelve-year-old boy. But with vengeance supplying wings to the one and terror imparting haste to the other, the time they made from the rain-barrel along the platform past the baggage-room and freight-shed, off the platform to the ground and up the track to the construction department's storehouse, a matter of a hundred and fifty yards, stands good today as a record in Big Cloud. It was pretty near a dead heat. Noodles had five yards start when he left the rain-barrel, and when he reached the end of the storehouse he had five yards lead. No more. A premonition of disaster began to twine itself around Noodle's heart in a sickly, dispiriting way. He dashed along beside the wall of the building, and after him lunged Regan, grunting like a grampus, a threat in every grunt. It was a long, low, windowless building, and halfway up its length was the door. Noodles had known the door to be unlocked at nights for the purpose of loading rush material for the bridge gangs in the mountains to go out by the early morning freight west at 4.10, and his hope lay in the door being open now. The place was full to the ceiling with boxes, bales, casks, barrels, and kegs, and amongst them in the darkness, being of small dimensions himself, he could soon lose Regan. He reached the door, snatched at the latch, the door was unlocked, and with an uplift immeasurable upon his young soul that gave vent to itself in a hoot of derision, Noodles flung himself inside. Regan, still panting earnestly, the beads on his brow now embryonic fountainheads that sent trickling streams down his face, lurched, pretty well winded, through the door five yards behind Noodles. And then Regan stopped, and the thought of Noodles was swept from Regan's mind in a flash. The smell of smoke was in his nostrils, and like... A white, misty cloud in the darkness it hung around him, and, through it, up toward the far end of the shed, a, a fire showed yellow and ugly, that with a curious, hissing, sibilant sound flared suddenly bright, then died to yellow ugliness again. Grim-faced now, his jaws clamped hard, Regan sprang forward toward the upper end of the shed. What was a fire he did not know, nor what had caused it. 
though the latter, probably by a match, dropped maybe hours ago by a careless Polack that had caught and set something smoldering and that was now breaking into flame. All Regan knew, all Regan thought of then, was the powder. There were fifty kegs of giant blasting powder massed together there somewhere ahead, and just beyond where the fire was flinging out its challenge to him, enough to wreck not only the shed but half the railroad property in Big Cloud as well. Up the little handcar tracks between the high-piled stores Regan ran, and halted where a spurt of flame ending in a vicious puff of smoke shot out beside him, low down on the ground. It was light enough now, and in a glance the master mechanic caught the black grains of powder strewing the floor where a broken keg had been rolled along. A little alleyway had been left here running to the wall, and the fire itself was bursting from a case in the rear and bottom tier of stores on one side of this. On the other side were piled the powder kegs, and the space between, the width of the alleyway, was no more than a bare five or six feet. There was no time to wait for help. The powder grains crunched under his feet and ran little zigzag, fizzy lines of fire like a miniature inferno as the sparks caught them. At any moment it might reach the kegs, and then... Regan flung himself along the alleyway to the rear tier of cases. They were small ones here, though piled twice the height of his head. If he could wrench them away, he could get at the burning case below. Regan bent, strained at the cases. They were light and moved. He heaved again to topple them over, and then, as a rasping, ripping sound reached him from above, he let go his hold to jump back. Too late! A heavy casting that had been placed on top of the cases, evidently for economy of space, came hurtling downward, struck Regan on the head, glanced to his shoulder and arm, slid with a thump to the ground, and Regan dropped like a log. A minute, perhaps two, it had all taken, no more. Noodles, crouched down against a case just inside the door, had seen the master mechanic rush by him, and Noodles, too, had seen the flame and smelt the smoke. Noodles' first impulse was to make his escape, his next, to see if he could not turn this unexpected intervention of fate to his own account anent the master mechanic. Noodles heard Regan moving about, and he stole silently in that direction. Then Noodles heard the heavy thump of iron, the softer thud of Regan's fall, and something inside him seemed to stop suddenly, and his face went very white. Mr. Regan? Mr. Regan? he stammered out. There was no answer, no sound, save an ominous crackle of burning wood. Noodles stole further forward, and then as he reached the spot where Regan lay, he stood stock still for a second, petrified with fear, but the next instant, screaming at the top of his voice for help, he threw himself upon Regan, pounding frantically with the flat of his hands at the master mechanic's shoulder, where the other's coat was beginning to blaze. Somehow Noodles got this out, and then, still screaming for help, began to drag Regan away from the side of the blazing case. But Regan was a heavy man, almost too much for Noodles. Noodles, choking with the smoke, his eyes fascinated with horror as they fixed, now on the powder kegs, whose unloading in company with a dozen other awestruck boys he had watched a few days before, now on the sparkling, fizzing grains of powder upon the floor, tugged and wriggled and pulled at the master mechanic. Inch by inch, Noodles won Regan to safety. And then, on his hands and knees, he went back to sweep the grains away from the edge of the kegs. They burnt his hands as he brushed them along the floor, and he moaned with the pain between his screams for aid. 
It was hot in the narrow place, so narrow that the breath of flame swept his face from the case, but there was still some powder on the floor to brush back out of the way, little heaps of it. Weak and swaying on his knees, Noodles brushed at it desperately. It seemed to spurt into his face, and he, he couldn't breathe any more, and he couldn't see, and his head was swirling around queerly. He staggered to his feet as there came a rush of men, and, and Clarihue, the turner, with the night crew of the roundhouse, came racing up to the shed. "'Good God, what's this?' cried Clarihue. "'It's a, it's a fire,' said Noodles, with a sob, and fell into Clarihue's arms. They told Regan about it the next day when they had got his head patched up and his arms set. Regan didn't say very much as he lay in his bed, but he asked someone to go to McGuire's and ask old Bill to come down. And an hour later McGuire entered the room, but he halted a good yard away from the foot of Regan's bed. "'You sent for me, Regan,' observed the little ostler in non-committal, faraway tones. "'I did, McGuire,' said Regan diplomatically. Things haven't been going as smooth as they might have over in the roundhouse since you left, and I want you to come back. What do you say? Tis not what I say, said McGuire, and he moved no nearer to the bed. Tis whether your son says what you said yourself. Do you take it back, Regan? I do, said Regan, in grave tones, but his hands reached up to help the bandages hide his grin. I take it all back, McGuire, every word of it. "'That's all right, then,' said the little ostler, not arrogantly, but as one justified. "'I'm sorry to see as are sick, Regan, and I'm glad to see as are better. "'But did I not warn you, Regan? "'Twas the wrath of God, Regan, that's the cause of this.' "'Maybe,' said Regan softly. "'Maybe, but to my thinking, "'twas the devil in all his works.' "'What's that?' inquired McGuire, bending forward. "'I didn't catch what you said, Regan.' "'I said,' said Regan, choking a little, "'that Noodles is a godson any godfather would be proud to have.' Well, "'Sure he is,' said Noodles' father cordially. "'He is thought.'" End of chapter 7